we're calling the meeting to order at 534, Tuesday, January 12th. And Heather? You're going to do roll call first? Uh, okay, Brenda, can you do roll call, please? Yes. Lorita Mellon? Here. Niha Banger? Here. Lucia Angel? Here. B. Frank Walker? Witcher Harvey Jr.? Eric Murphy? Mark Smith? Here. Kaleo Toki? I'm here. Ali Yassin? We have a quorum. Um, and I want to also add that Richard is here. I can see him. Um, I think it was just a muting issue, so I'm sure he'll okay. speak up shortly. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. So, yes, we do have a quorum. Okay, and Dr. Francis is going to step away for a minute. Okay. So the first thing on the agenda, I believe, is oh gosh, I'm sorry, approving the minutes. Correct. Well, the first thing, Loretta, is a board chair report where you have the floor and you can set the tone, say whatever you like. It is open for you. Oh, okay. Well, this might be a good um, opportunity, for example, to welcome Khalil to his first meeting. Yes, Khalil, welcome, welcome. And this is my first time doing it as chair person as well. I'm um, glad to have you. Um, I'm excited to. I went. I was reading through all the materials that are we're going to talk about tonight. I'm excited to um, hear some of the, the reports. I hope everyone is doing well and staying healthy. And um, that's all I have for right now. Well done, Loretta. Um, what you can do next is you're going to, um, there's the consent item for approval of the minutes and approval of the 2021 meeting calendar. And that can, um, this is where. Alexander will correct me when I'm wrong, but um, okay. is that one item? Does she do each one separately or she, does she do them together? No, it, it's one item. It's one item? Yeah. And so how do I phrase it? So we'll need a motion to approve. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Agenda? Yeah, okay. We need a motion to approve um, the minutes from the December 8th, 2020 Co-Applicant Board meeting and for the approval of the 2021 meeting calendar. Um, this is Mark Smith. Uh, I so move. Thank you, Mark. Can someone second? This was, yeah, I can second. <laughs> okay, thank you. Good. And with a consent item, usually we ask if there are any objections. Are there any objections? And then it's pretty simple. Then it's hearing none, it passes. Okay, so hearing none, it passes. There you go. All right, um, so. The next item, skip, yeah, go ahead. Shall we skip to D because um, Dr. Francis isn't here quite yet, correct? Yeah, so Dr. Francis is, is working um, 
is doing some work with a patient right now. Alexander, are there any challenges with um, doing out-of-order agenda? No, since these don't require any action items, we can uh, proceed and discuss item D. Okay, so Catherine, would you be prepared? Yes, I'm prepared. Okay. Okay. So, Catherine will... It's your turn. <laughs> right. So, good evening. So, I've met, I think, all of you mostly in person, except maybe the, our newest CAB member, but my name is Catherine Horner and I am the Vice President for Ambulatory Care. I've been here about three years, and um, I'm really excited to share with you some of our updates across ambulatory care. So the goals, um, Heather, if you just, and we'll likely need to take a call. Okay. Um, Damon, welcome back. Do you want to do a bit of an introduction to and content setting for the presentation? Yes, uh, that'd be great to just do it now back over to you. So we can go to the next slide. Sorry, everyone, and, and thank you so much for just how gracious you are in understanding. <laughs> um, I'm actually making an operation comfort referral, which requires multiple phone calls to multiple different people. So um, I finished uh, a couple of the calls, but I probably have two more to do during this call, and I'm sorry that it overlaps with our board meeting. Um, so our, our goals really for the discussion today are just to understand the long-term trends in ambulatory services at Alameda Health System, mainly because I think all of you understand, but we just want to, you know, kind of go a level deeper to understand that the Homeless Health Center basically is the ambulatory, you know, department at Alameda Health System. Um, it's just that our scope is, you know, only the care that's provided for those patients that are experiencing homelessness. But administratively, you know, all of our physicians, nurses, medical assistants, uh, PSRs, patient services representatives, you know, are the same people who take care of all of our patients at Alameda Health System. And indeed, our homeless patients are, you know, often homeless for two to three months and then not homeless anymore. And so it's the same patients year to year. And so we really wanted you to get an overview of kind of the ambulatory services division and then go from there to discuss the impact of those long-term trends on people experiencing homelessness. And then this is sort of a way, the second two bullet points are a way to respond to, I think, um, uh, board member Banger and, um, and others, you know, asking to see sort of what's our, what are our objectives for um, calendar year 2021. And so I wanted to see what the objectives are for all of ambulatory services and then to talk a little bit about how those um, will impact people experiencing homelessness. So if you go to the next slide, um, we're just going to, chunk this conversation in a way that talks about the first two areas first, like looking backwards at the long-term trends and, you know, thinking about those trends as they affect people experiencing homelessness, pause for a discussion at that point, and then we'll get into the next two um, areas later. And I think with that, I can hand it over to you, Catherine. Okay. Thank you, Damon. Um, I actually think the next slide is a timeline. Okay. So, um, and Damon, did you want to talk through this slide as well? I can, I can do that if he's, okay. if he's busy. So, um, so this is just a timeline of what it looks like at ambulatory care. And we wanted to make sure that it was clear that, you know, in the 1960s, Alameda County established neighborhood wellness centers. They've been in our community for a very, very long time. 
and with the um, McKinney-Vento Act of 19, that would happen in the late 1980s, that was when the creation of the Homeless Health Center happened, and it included all of the ambulatory freestanding clinics. And those clinics, um, from that time to this time, some of them have changed name or have changed location, but the concept of the the community health clinics have existed within our homeless health center for the entire time that the homeless health center um, existed. And at that time, um, Alameda County uh, Healthcare for the Homeless Program and Alameda Health System was one agency. And you see that in 1980, 1998, that's when those two agencies split. So with the creation of the homeless health center, the county and the Alameda Health System were one, um, 1998, the two entities became separate. In um, 2016 is when the initial establishment of the Alameda County Homeless Commission, that was the first governing board um, for the Homeless Health Center, and that took place because, again, there was a change in the law that required um, that there was governance, uh, including for homeless health centers prior to that, there had been a waiver and an exemption from that governance, but it was reestablished about 2016, and so we had to establish a governance body, a governing body, and that was with the Homeless Commission. And then in 2018, we established the board that you're sitting on now, and that was because um, with HRSA's review of our governance, um, it didn't meet the requirements and so we had to become two governing boards. The Homeless Commission does still exist, and they govern the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. We are a sub-recipient and an independent agency from the county as far as that is concerned, so not falling um, under their governance. We have to govern ourselves, and that's why we established the co-applicant board in 2018. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Heather. Brenda, can you go to the next slide? Thanks. Okay, so this is um, our uh, reporting structure. So we wanted to make sure everyone understood um, visually the um, relationship between your board as the Homeless Healthcare Co-Applicant Board um, and um, us and within ambulatory. So you see here, so um, we have a board of trustees, then our CEO, our chief medical officer, and then Paula Barbaria, who um, presented in October with Karen Wise as our chief ambulatory officer. And then um, we have our ambulatory system leadership committee um, that's comprised of 11 members, including Paula, myself. Damon Francis also sits on that leadership committee hmm. um, as our homeless healthcare center medical director. And so he has a direct reporting line up to you as a board. And if you go to the next slide, um, this is uh, the general outline of our clinic reporting structure. So within ambulatory, we actually have, we have close to 500, we have 499 um, staff and providers within our um, department. Um, we do have some providers who are, um, you know, report up to other departments, but we'll see patients in our clinics. Mm -hmm. So you can see there, Paula, and then myself as the vice president. And so basically all of the clinical medical directors and physicians report up to Paula, and then all of our managers um, and um, operational staff report up through me. So next slide. So here is our ambulatory locations um, throughout the county. So up north we have 
you know, Highland Hospital, um, and then our farthest south one is at Newark. Uh, we have a clinic that's not, well, Marina Specialty is number one over there on Alameda Island. We um, started overseeing that clinic um, in January of 2020, so about a year ago. It's not currently, that's the only clinic on this list that's not currently part of our homeless healthcare center. Um, and that's kind of an open question for the future for us to decide as a group whether we want to incorporate them and bring them into our fold. Next slide. And actually, Heather, I was going to hope that you presented this one. Yeah, absolutely. So on this slide, we're showing our Alameda Health System patients as compared to our homeless health center patients. And we did start talking about this um, last month during our meeting when we reviewed the homeless health center patients. And so this also highlights really the difference between um, Alameda Health System patients and our homeless health center patients. And remember, we talked a little bit about our homeless health center patients really reflect what the homeless community looks like and not what the Alameda Health System community looks like. And we see that strikingly in our race and ethnicity chart, which shows that um, black or African-American patients make up 27% of our population at Alameda Health System, but they make up 45% of our homeless health center patients. Similarly, you see in our Hispanic and Latino ethnicity that in Alameda Health System, they make up 33%, and in our homeless health center, they make up 22%. So you'll see these differences. Similarly, when we look at our age groups, um, again, we talked about this last month, where our homeless um, health center population is uh, really aging at this point, um, with a large proportion of our patients. Um, you can see, I know that the age groups are different, and that's because we had uh, different folks reporting. So I was using some existing charts. But you can, you know, still see the, the gap. In the Alameda Health System, you'll see our 45 to 74 just really representing about 40%. But when you look at our 50 plus, you'll see that that represents more than 50% already. So it really just shows that the homeless health center population is an aging population, and our younger patients are more represented in the Alameda Health System full population. Yeah. Um, you're, you have feedback. I'm hearing you twice. Double. So am I. I don't know why, but okay. Hold on. I'm going to figure out where it's coming from. Yeah, so I got uh, it. should be actually uh, Member Murphy. If you can mute your mic. That will be great. And let's give it a try. Do you want me to mute you, Eric? Oh, I thought I had muted myself already. No, it's okay. We'll see if that helps. Are we still getting feedback? No. No, that's better. Fantastic. Um, when we look at our payer mix, I think our payer mix is pretty, uh, they match reasonably well. Um, I was using two different charts again, 20, 2018 versus 2020, and one of the challenges here in this comparison was that um, in 2018 we didn't have our capitation program yet, but I did look at this, and, and our homeless health center patients are, are reasonably well covered with, by payers similar to our Alameda Health System patients. So here's where we see that they are more alike, the whole system, as compared to the other things that are different for our patients. Any questions about that? 
Thank you, Heather. I think that's really helpful data. Um, so the next few slides um, just call out, you know, specific details about our various wellness centers. Um, so I'm going to go pretty quickly through them, um, you know, but happy to answer any questions that folks have about our individual wellness centers. Eastmont here is, um, you know, outside of Highland is really our largest and most comprehensive wellness center. Um, meaning it has the most number of specialty non-primary care services that are offered. And then if you go down, you can um, see where it is listed next. Uh, this is the newest of our, like, build-wise. It was built, um, it was relocated maybe five or six years ago, um, and it's a really nice facility if you've been there before. Um, and then moving to the next slide is Newark Wellness. Um, so Newark Wellness is our most south, as I mentioned, and um, is also our smallest primary care clinic. It does also have a little bit of a specialty footprint. And then next slide is our mobile van services. Um, so, and I, I think of all of our wellness centers, you all are probably the most familiar with what is happening on our van because we speak about it often. And then the next slide, I also wanted to make sure to include, um, this is a picture of Fairmont um, Hospital, which is where our call center and referral unit are located. So our call center handles incoming phone calls for our primary care clinics, um, and then our referral unit handles all incoming referrals into our specialty clinics, and then we're also building out some capacity for uh, to handle specialty incoming phone calls. But there, before I move on, are there any questions about our specific locations and what we offer? Catherine, I have a quick question. This is Neha. I'm wondering if uh, if there is a particular service that a patient needs and they're not at uh, the clinic that they're at, then do they get referred and do they get transportation to go if they don't have transportation to go to another clinic where the service is offered? What is the process like for a patient? Yeah, so in? if a patient gets referred in and either referred from one of our primary care clinics or from a primary care provider in the community, um, it goes to the referral unit, and when they when the referral unit staff member calls the patient to schedule that appointment, they offer it based on um, access with like if the when the next available appointment is, um, and they look across the um, the clinics where that service is offered, as well as patient preference whether you know the patient wants to be seen in Newark versus Highland is is important for that patient. Um, and then they do, part of their standard work is also to ask about transportation. Transportation is driven by a patient's insurance for the most part. Um, some insurances have a better um, uh, benefit around transportation, but that is something that we can offer and either the patient arranges or we can help them to arrange. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions about our specific locations? Oh, Khalil. Well, I just want to say I'm glad that you guys didn't move the Hayward one from the small one from Amador to the near location. It is much nicer. It is nice and big. Actually, my wife is a patient there, so. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I because I know the one on Amador was pretty small. Yeah. I yeah. actually, I, I haven't, because I've only been here for the last three years, I, I haven't seen the previous one, but oh, yeah. I mean, the current location is just, it, they designed it really nicely. Yeah, it is. It's very nice. Yeah, it's very nice. I agree. Well, thanks for the shout out. That's awesome. 
Um, okay, so if you move forward to the next slide, we just wanted to share a little bit. Um, this is utilization. So this, this is basically looking at visit volume. So how, and you can see um, we see across ambulatory clinics between 25,000 and 35,000 visits in every, you know, monthly. Um, and then there's there's just a little box there um, for the springtime. So as we, you know, as COVID hit and we transitioned to telephone and video visits, we um, some of our data got a little. Um, mixed up and so we do at this point we do not have accurate visit volume data for the springtime um but you know in general i think the point of this slide is really to show that we've been pretty steady across utilization um and this is going back to you know july 2017 through last month okay um next slide and heather i was going to ask you to speak to better understand 
we need to do strategically as a homeless health center to serve the population overall better. But I thought this was just um, kind of an interesting first look at our utilization patterns and, and how they differ in the homeless health center versus ambulatory overall. And it might be a good place to just pause for you know clarifying questions or anything. Yeah, I, um, this is Eric, member Eric uh, Murphy. I had a, uh, just a quick question. So, uh, with the the higher number um, uh, for line um, four and five, is there like any particular like health condition that you see a common thread in that um, like pertaining to like uh, maybe like respiratory or cold or is there a pattern of um, uh, a particular condition that these uh, urgent care visits uh, outnumber the ambulatory? There's nothing that's popped out at us in the initial analyses that we've done, um, but that is something we're going to explore in more detail to try to figure out if the reason. Okay, that was my only question. I, I think it's the other possibility is that it's essentially very similar diseases people tend to be sicker or the disease is tend to be under less good control for people who are struggling with housing it. Gotcha. Hi, Damon. It's Neha. Um, looking at the data, it doesn't, I mean, it's fairly consistent with what you see in a lot of other situations where somebody who doesn't have proper or primary care, you end up seeing them in urgent care a lot more. So the numbers uh, probably are consistent with what you would expect. Um, so I'm, I'm curious as to is there um, what's being done to change the change them from seeing being seen only mm -hmm. at urgent care to you know more primary or, or secondary. Honestly, I don't think we know um, the distribution of which patients are doing which. So the higher number of urgent care visits could be among patients who are, we just these are just averages, right? So it could be among patients who are utilizing a lot of primary care too, and they're utilizing both a lot of primary care and a lot of urgent care. Um, or it could be among patients who aren't utilizing much primary care. Um, I don't think utilization of urgent care is necessarily, um, it may be indicative of very excellent care that um, you know, someone who needs to, be able, needs to be seen quickly for something and has a good relationship with their primary care, but their primary care doesn't have a visit available today, is able to come to urgent care and get that thing handled and then go back to primary care. So I don't think we, we have a clear understanding of what this pattern means. And I think that's part of what we have to do to kind of explore the data further to get at, are these 62 urgent care visits happening among people who aren't seen in primary care at all? Are, who are seen in primary care? Are there opportunities for improvement here? Is this just the way we want it to be? Um, I think probably some of all those things is true, <laughs> unfortunately. But hopefully we can uncover some other, you know, patterns to see where are there subpopulations of patients that sort of utilize in a certain way that we can start to understand better and dig into. Uh, Damon, I have a question. This is Lynetta. Um, when you say urgent care visits, are you talking about the same-day clinic, which used to be the same-day clinic, or are you talking about emergency room visits? These are um, same-day clinic and mobile health clinic visits. Okay. So the 3,500 homeless patients um, use the emergency department for their primary care, more or less? Is, is that what the, this is saying? 
Um, we know that there are 3,500 homeless patients who have been seen in the emergency department and the hospital who haven't been seen in our ambulatory clinics. We don't know if they have been seen in other ambulatory clinics. You know, have they been seen right. at private practices or lifelong? We don't know the answer to that. Right. Okay. All right. Good. Thank you. I think we can move the slide forward here. Yeah, helpful conversation. Um, okay, um, getting back to kind of the bigger picture ambulatory as a whole kind of work. So one of the things we wanted to highlight is um, some of the areas that we're working on. Um, and this is an area that we really have seen some great improvement over the last few years, and it's around specialty access. So this is um, some data that we look at actually on a weekly basis. Um, so we look at across all of our specialties what their access looks like in terms of like when their next available appointments are as well as um, what we call their backlog. So backlog meaning the number of patients waiting to be scheduled. So the grid there is from um, February of 2020, so um, you know, close to 10 months ago. And so then I wanted to highlight a few of our services. So there's five of their listed where we've seen pretty significant reductions in their backlogs over the last 10 months. Um, so everything from optometry going from, you know, close to 3,400 patients waiting to be scheduled down to 99. Um, and then the last one there is women's services, you know, with a backlog of about 350 patients, um, now at 37 patients. So. You know, we're able to achieve this, you know, uh, you know, there's no magic bullet here. It's a lot of, you know, working with the service line, um, looking at their everything from how they schedule patients to making sure there's no um, duplicated patients being referred in to really make sure that um, we can uh, drive down these backlog numbers and get patients in when they need to be seen. Next slide. So, you know, that was... Those are some data highlighting some uh, things that we've been really able to, you know, move the dial on. Um, this one here, which is our telephone access, is an area that we, um, you know, in all honesty, have struggled with um, and are continuing to struggle with. So, we do have a strategic plan this year to fix the problem. Um, within our strategic plan, we have about 10 initiatives, um, including everything from you know, hiring somebody to provide clinical medical leadership over our call center, um, things like um, introducing nurses into our call center to be able to, um, uh, you know, take care of patients when they call into the call center. We don't, you know, we don't then forward it out to the clinic, so we're able to take care of the patient right then and there on the phone. So we have a lot of initiatives that we're, you know, just starting to work on implementing this year um, because, um, as you can see from the data, you know, this is EGCAPS data, so this is patient survey data that we collect, um, you know, for patients after they have received a visit with us. And when we ask them, how often did you get an answer to your medical question the same day, we see for the most part um, we're below 50%. So less than half of our patients are getting um, answers to their phone call, you know, the questions that they're calling in for that same day. So. We're hoping with our strategic plan this year that we will be able to improve this, um, this uh, 
number and um, provide better care for our patients via phone. Other questions about this initiative? Okay, if not, you can move to the next slide. And then when asked, you know, what, um, what have we been doing during COVID that will likely have a lasting impact on our ambulatory services? Um, so we, we have two things to highlight. The first one being, um, uh, you know, as we shifted in the springtime to providing a lot of more of our care via telephone and video visits, actually in November, um, 43% of our of our visits with patients were via telephone and video. So a huge amount of our care right now um, is still being offered um, uh, via telehealth, which has which has been great for our patients, kept them safe, um, and still providing care. We're not quite sure um, how much of um, our care will continue via telehealth, as you know, you know, as COVID you know, within the next six to 12 months kind of shift. Um, but we do anticipate that we will be continuing in some form and fashion telephone visits into the future. And then, Damon, I think you were going to talk about the second bullet. Yeah, the other thing that I think um, COVID, you know, just required us to do is to start to address health-related social needs like food and housing in more of a systematic way, particularly with the needs for isolation and quarantine, you know, people can't isolate or quarantine if they don't have any food in their house or if they don't have a house. And so we've had to develop these uh, more systematic workflows to connect people to housing from clinical settings, ambulatory clinical settings, and to connect people to food. Uh, you know, obviously I'm in the middle of one of those workflows right now. Um, so clearly some kinks to work out to make sure we're fully staffed for all of them. But I think this is the kind of thing that um, absolutely you know, we're going to be building on after the COVID that's going to affect our entire ambulatory population and, and, and even more so affect the population of people in our homeless health center. Go ahead, Eric. I see your hands up. Yeah, um, glad you brought that up. Um, I was wondering, are you guys working with the Alameda County Food Bank or, you know, or um, in terms of, uh, like, food distribution or anything? We have not um, worked directly with the Alameda County Food Bank. We make referrals, and um, and then people make, our patients make their own independent connections there, so it's a, we are sending folks to, um, to the food bank as a resource. But... Um, we don't have, you know, beyond the referral relationship, we don't have any um, separate specific relationship there. I do know that the Alameda County Food Bank has partnerships with the county and with other folks around some of the specific contractors for case investigation and, um, and follow-up. So there are some more formal arrangements, but Alameda Health System isn't part of those formal ones, um, although we're, we're making referrals.
and I think um, some of the questions that you all asked, you know, um, uh, I think uh, Loretta and Neha both asked some really good questions around the utilization trends. I think we're going to be able to use this registry to dig into some more of those and start answering some of those questions, which we have too, and I think which are really important for us to, to figure out our planning for the future. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to pause here and see if there are any additional questions or comments that are kind of backward looking or what's going on right now, and then we'll, we'll turn to the plan um, in the next part of the conversation. Um, I, I have a question about the, um, it's going back to the question of having people get their medical question answered the same day. Um, didn't the K6 clinic at Highland set up their 5039 number especially for um, the um, adult care, you know, people to call into that number, not, not call the call center, but call the 5039 number so that they could get their questions answered? And if so, is it working? Is it not working? Has it been changed? Does it now still go through the call center? Or how does that work? Yeah, so I'm not, I don't know all the phone numbers off the top of my head. I do know that um, I was just looking at a plan by K6 to, to change how they are addressing phones because um, we are not, we're, we're, when we look at the data, we're not able to get to all the patients who are calling. Um, yeah. So the plan actually is to um, route more of the phone calls to the call center where we are better staffed to handle all the incoming phone calls. Yeah, because I think the 5039, um, well, I've been on, on this other group for over five years now, and I know the 5039 was specifically for the K6 clinic, and they, they were trying to, way back then, five years ago, trying to um, improve how patients' questions were answered on a daily basis or the turnaround time when the doctor got back to them. So that's why I was kind of, <laughs> you know, curious how that's working. Yeah. It seems like it's still working. When we look at the data and when we look at the, um, like just in terms of the numeric data, like how often we're able to um, return patients' uh, phone calls or get back to them the same day, there is still work to do. And so I think some of the, there's still improvements that we need to implement for K6 for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm really passionate about improving phone access. I mean, it's really important for, for all patients. They need to get their questions answered and they, in a timely way. But, you know, in talking with you all, it's even more important for our um, homeless patients that, you know, we don't delay their, you know, we're able to take care of them when they call right away. Brenda, can we move on to the next slide? Um, so as Damon mentioned, so um, the, uh, the previous slides have really been kind of just, you know, kind of overall um, ambulatory and kind of looking at some of the differences between all of ambulatory and then specifically for our healthcare for the homeless patients. Um, and now we have, um, you know, we wanted to share some of the ambulatory specific um, strategic plans for the coming year and kind of talk about how um, you all could use them as in your strategic planning processes. 
you go to the next slide, um, I know you won't be able to see this. <laughs> we're gonna, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll go through the parts of it and in the in the future slides. But this is the strategic plan document that our ambulatory system leadership committee uses. Um, uh, so you know, we we were thinking. So since the CAB, since since you all will be doing a strategic planning process, it would be helpful to know like kind of how we approach strategic planning within ambulatory within our ambulatory leadership group. Um, and obviously, you know, this is just kind of the first time we're presenting it to you. And so really look forward to working and partnering with you as you know as you dive into your strategic planning process and making sure that we are sympathetic and um, working together on, on our, you know, our aligned goals. Um, so as you can see, this is like it's set up as an Excel sheet and there's four parts of it. So we're going to go through each of the four parts. So if you go to the next slide, um, this is a, these are our pillars. So um, yeah, most all but one of these pillars are the same pillars across um, Alameda Health System. So access, experience, network, sustainability, workforce, and quality are things that all the parts of ambulatory health system are working on. Um, the one difference um, which ambulatory added this year is um, calling out equity as a pillar. So given what's happened um, you know, within the last year around Black Lives Matter, um, kind of as like a push, you know, pushing us forward and us needing to lean into those conversations. You know, um, we need to address the healthcare inequities within our community, within our patients, and so we are calling out equity as a pillar within ambulatory starting this year. Thank you. If you want to move on to the next slide, so the next, um, the next of our. Uh, Rig there is uh, our true north metrics. So these are metrics. These are you know quantitative metrics that have like a two to three or two to three year lifespan. So these are not like quick win kind of things. These are long term metric goals that our ambulatory leadership team has set. Um, well child visits is um, something that we have struggled with over the last few years. We're using it as a proxy for access. Um, so how quickly can how how much do we do to make sure that um, our pediatric patients are getting in for their well child visits? The next one is CG caps. So right, um, if you go up, I'm just going over the metrics. Thanks, Brenda. So um, the telephone access data that I shared earlier is one of the questions as um, that's part of the CG cap survey. Um, this. True North metric here is recommend the practice. So it's an overall practice. It's an overall um, question that we're using. Um, and um, in order to um, start working on our pillar of equity, we're going to be analyzing this um, by race and ethnicity. Um, the third True North metric that's called out on our strategic plan is flu vaccinations. So, um, this is something we've been working on for the last few years as well to really drive and improve upon. Um, so it's not just because of COVID this year, but it's really, you know, a way that we know that um, it's really important to keep our patients healthy um, and it's a good proxy for that. And as you can see, we're also 
we're going to be analyzing this by race and ethnicity. Um, and then our fourth metric is really around sustainability and financial sustainability. So we're looking at encounters with missing charges. So this is basically um, you come in to, to see one of our doctors. They document everything. They add the codes, um, like the billing codes, and then they sign and close that encounter. So we are monitoring and tracking um, that percentage of closing the encounter completely which obviously um, ties back with, you know, good documentation as well as our ability to bill for that visit. So those are our True North metrics. If you go to the next slide, um, so the, our, the next quadrant is around our strategic plans. So just as an example, that second one there, accessible and high quality telephone access for our ambulatory patients, that's the strategic plan that I was referencing earlier before. So across our ambulatory system leadership team, we have, um, what is that, eight strategic plans for the year. So each of them are multifaceted, um, have a lot of different stakeholders involved, and are really um, the, the strategies that we think that we need to focus on this year in order to drive performance and improvement for our patients. So we've got things around population health, um, telephone access, which I mentioned, um, virtual care, so planning for the changes around um, telephone and video visits, um, behavioral health access, which is, you know, um, Doc, uh, Paula Barbary and Karen Weiss came in October and shared some of this, these plans around behavioral health. Um, our access and revenue cycle is also a strategic plan followed by patient experience. We have a strategic plan for that. Um, our safety and quality um, is included as a strategic plan. And then our last one is around improving workforce culture, experience, and communication. And then the last part of our strategic plan is our process metrics. So that's in green. That's on the next slide. Thanks, Brenda. So this basically just lists out all of the more nitty gritty projects, um, specific processes that our um, 11 members of our ambulatory leadership team are working on. And then if you go to the next slide, you know, in reviewing those process metrics, the ones that we think we're going to have the biggest impact on our homeless patients specifically are on the telephone access work, um, which we talked about, and I'm happy to talk, I'm really passionate about it, so I'm happy to talk more about it. Um, we also have some work underway um, tied to our patient experience strategic plan on dental redesign. So this is an area um, which we're really excited to dive into and improve the access and capacity for. Um, and then the last one here um, is behavioral health transformation, um, which you know you also all did a deep dive on in October. I have a comment about that. Um, you know the behavioral health part of homelessness is is a huge part of it in many cases. And um, I know just the other day, um, Target was completely evacuated because of a mental health issue um, where someone was climbing on top of the refrigerator, um, you know, where they keep the refrigerated items. And um, so they had to evacuate the whole Target in San Leandro. Now, Something like that, the police were, were good. You know, they, they responded correctly. Um, at that point, aren't they considering um, having 
for example, behavioral health counselors from our our um, health system come in and work with the police on situations like this? Is that something that's being talked about or considered? So the, the county behavioral health department is um, is partnering with uh, law enforcement um, to try to to try to uh, figure out ways to respond, you know, um, that are more prevention oriented, that are right. that are more equity oriented, um, and that are frankly more likely to be more successful than um, yeah. sort of law enforcement, you know, focused approaches um, that really recognize, you know, behavioral health issues um, for what they are. But Alameda Health System specifically isn't isn't part of those partnerships at this point in time. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, I just want to add something to that. Also, just I know that there's there's a CAT team um, that is actually working with the police departments, you know, for individuals that have mental illness, you know, in situations like that. So we we as a head call because we do deal with clients and homeless, but you know, people that have mental health and. Uh, there's a situation that a staff member cannot de-escalate that individual. You know, we usually call 911, but we also request for the CAT team to be sent out that is a, a clinician and a social worker and another person, I think it's a nurse, three of them that come on the site uh, to do an assessment of an individual and that kind of go from there. But CAT team gets used a lot and they're part of the need house out of Berkeley. Thank you. That's helpful information, yeah. So this is the last slide. Probably I should have promised that. So I, at this point, I think we're open, open it up for additional questions and comments. I just really, I really, really hope that this year there's a lot of emphasis put on mental health behavioral health, um, I think that's such a critical, critical part of homelessness and, you know, addiction issues and just all kinds of things, you know, and we haven't had the funds, the money, the people to work um, in the area, we haven't had as many people as we needed to work in that area, or people that were really dedicated, because I know at Fairmont Hospital right now, the people that are working there, they're doing the best they can, but it's it's not a very good system. It's, it needs a lot of improvement. And, um, you know, a homeless person might go up there and be held for 72 hours and then he or she's let right back out on the street um, and kind of really defend for themselves. You know, there's no, um, there's no follow-up on those people. And that's what worries me a lot. Um. This is Lucia. Uh, I just had a quick question about your priorities coming up for this year. Um, I noticed you had COVID testing as part of that, but um, are, is any is uh, COVID vaccination part of your kind of your plan in ambulatory care? Yeah. So this actually um, this uh, um, strategic plan was put together um, in uh, August, September, October timeframe. Um, so, we, but yes, um, vaccination has begun. Um, actually, ambulatory just um, took over employee vaccination um, this week um, as we prepare to start vaccinating patients as well. So, it is definitely um, a project and something really critical that we that we are currently working on. Um, it just goes to show you, you can put together a strategic plan, et cetera, but uh, there's always things that come
come to you that you need to address and take care of and prioritize over other things. So. And just, um, just to add, uh, our, our mobile health has been asked to do some planning around um, COVID vaccination uh, within the shelters in Alameda County. Um, so we're not really clear exactly what that's going to look like, but um, Heather and I have, you know, started to be engaged in, in that process and, um, you know, some of the vaccination um, effort shelter for the shelter population. I'm glad you guys brought that out. Is there a, like a um, like a rough timetable for when vaccination will be available for homeless or unannounced? Rough timetable? No. What I was asked to develop uh, was a beginning of a flexible plan to begin implementation in April. But honestly, I think any dates you just have to take with a grain of salt right now um, because the um, the amount of vaccine that's available and the changes to policy are shifting almost on a daily basis. Um, diff there's different information from the state, different information from the county. So, um, you know, that's the, that's the date I've been asked to start doing planning around the shelter population. I don't know if Catherine has a different date around patient vaccination within our system. You know, just to add, the only thing I have, I would have to add is that, you know, our, um, what we're doing now is vaccinating, um, you know, providers and clinicians and, and staff within the clinics. And then once those waves are completed, which will be another month or two, we will then start vaccinating our patients. I think it's important to be clear that the county is setting, the state and the county are setting policy on this. So it's um, it's not something that's entirely up to us within Alameda Health System to make the decisions about when certain populations can go um, in terms of vaccination. Correct. We will follow the gotcha. county guidelines. I think we're, we are, ready to move on and just I just wanted to say a big thank you to Catherine for um, working on this presentation with us and um, and just getting us more engaged in the ambulatory um, you know uh, past present and future um, kind of at a big picture level as complicated as it is I feel like she did a really great job just um, kind of laying it out for us and, and helping us think about how we can engage and, and really focus on the population of people experiencing homelessness. So I just really wanted to thank Catherine for, for joining us this evening and, and doing this presentation. Oh, it's my pleasure. You all are um, such great advocates and partners in this work. And I, um, I, I if there's any additional information um, that would be helpful to this group as you begin your strategic planning process as well, you know, I, I'm sure that you will reach out, but, um, you know, I look forward to providing that. And I'm actually going to, I usually join your meetings. I'm just going to mute myself and um, be available, but thank you. Thank you, Catherine.
Okay. Um, Heather, are you? I think we should go um, to the medical director report, which we kind of okay. jumped over um, yes. because of Dr. Francis's availability. And while he's here, we'll keep him engaged. And if he has to go, yeah. then I'll just take over. Okay. Assuming that works for him. That works for me. Yeah, I could get a phone call anytime for the transportation component of uh, Operation Comfort. So I used to, I've, got, I've gotten out of the habit of telling a patient's story at the beginning of the medical director report, and maybe I should get into that habit again. Um, so this is uh, uh, what, I, what I'm working on right now is a gentleman who's actually been in Operation Comfort. Um, he um, has, you know, a number of serious chronic illnesses, including, you know, as Loretta said, behavioral health issues being so central. Um, and he was in Operation Comfort, and on New Year's Eve, um, wanted to go see the fireworks. And, um, and you know, that's what, from his perspective, that's what he was doing. From the perspective of the program, he eloped and could not be um, allowed back into the facility. Um, and so since then, um, he's tried going home to stay with family members and, um, you know, I think in part because of the behavioral health challenges that he's facing, that hasn't worked out. And so he came into clinic at the end of the day today um, with symptoms of coronavirus and, um, and, you know, and feeling quite depressed and down. And, um, and so we're making another referral back to Operation Comfort. And I think um, it's, a, you know, just working with him is something that makes me grateful that we have the resource that we have, um, grateful that we have the staff that we have. There's so many staff who've already participated in taking good care of him today. And also, you know, frustrated with the fact that our system has so many rules and regulations and challenges that sort of get in the way of doing things the best. This, just to give you context, he was admitted to the ER seven times in one month last year. Um, and, and so this is someone who we clearly have the resources to take care of in one way, but not in another way. Um, and I think seeing that element of, you know, situations like his is just, um, it's endlessly frustrating to me, you know, knowing what his family's going through, trying to figure out if they, if they have the resources to care for him, um, you know, and feeling like, wow, you know, what could his family do with that money? What could we do with an inventory system with that money? And instead we're like go cycling through over and over again, these, you know, ER visits that, um, that clearly haven't improved his situation very much. Um, so yeah, anyway, I should, I should stop going on and on because I might get pulled away at any minute and <laughs> jump into the response. Um, so, um, yeah, I just wanted to give you all, you know, the usual, um, update on what's going on with the homeless response, focusing on overall case numbers in the hotels, and then just, um, just a brief update on our board of trustees, which we've been tracking in this, um, in this segment of the agenda too. So you can go to the next slide, Brenda. Um, and the next one. Um, so, you know, similar to what we're experiencing as a community overall, we're seeing case rates really accelerate in November and December. Um, and, um, you know, we used to have somewhere around between three and five outbreak responses that were happening, you know, at any given time. Now there's 20 outbreak responses um, as of the week of December 24th when this report came out, and we're at about the same rate now. Um, so our colleagues that, you know, across our community of shelters and encampments in the Healthcare for the Homeless program in the county are just working really, really hard to you know, repeatedly contain outbreaks and respond to people experiencing homelessness who are getting infected with this virus at, a, at an increasing rate. Um, we can go to the next slide. 
Um, unfortunately, at the same time, um, because of the expiration of FEMA funding and you know some of the um, just realities around the um, the agreements to operate the hotels, mm-hmm. the occupancy of the safer ground um, hotel, the safer ground sites, which is for people who are at high risk of complications from COVID, but they're not necessarily infected themselves. Um, the occupancy is declining. Everybody who is in those hotels is being offered at least one comparable or better housing situation, but some folks are not accepting those alternatives, and so unfortunately there are some of these folks who are, you know, leaving safer ground and going to a worse housing situation, an emergency shelter or back to the streets. Um, but there are many that are going on to, you know, other interim housing or permanent housing even from, uh, from safer ground. And um, we do know with Measure W, which um, I presented some information about last time, that um, some, of the, some of that funding is going to be used to support some of these solutions like this. We still don't know exactly which ones, and we're sort of waiting to find out more information. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's obviously hard knowing how many people we have that need this resource, knowing that the, um, the virus is circulating more than it ever has in our community, and, um, and you know, we actually are, are um, having you know, lower numbers of this resource available for people to, to utilize. Um, the next slide, I think, shows um, operation comfort. So that gray line at the top is, you know, current occupancy. Um, and you can see, basically, that, you know, from November to be the beginning of January, it's bouncing around, but it's pretty much going in a straight upward direction. And I believe countywide we have 16 beds available as of today. Um, for isolation and quarantine, you know, 15 when um, I've com- successfully completed the referral that I'm working on right now, um, and um, and there are there are some contingency planning efforts in place in case you know we um, utilize all the capacity at the single um, hotel that we have available right now, um, and uh, which which may include changing some of the criteria or may include and or may include adding additional capacity. Uh, but you can see we're definitely, you know, using this resource um, a lot and a lot more than we have at earlier points. We used to have two hotels, so, you know, those times where we've been, like, back in May, uh, over 100 people, we had um, twice the capacity of what we what we have right now. Um, so I should include a line in the future that shows you what the, what the capacity is and how close we are to it, because um, it looks like we're, we're far away from that peak in May, but actually we're getting very close to, to full. their most 
we'll be, I think, officially hiring an interim CEO for us and then, uh, and then a permanent CEO for us um, in the organization. Uh, so this is a really important thing for us to just continue to be aware of because it's, you know, a, a really a wholesale change in the leadership um, and decision-making body, uh, the, the foremost decision-making body for the organization, and um, I think has the potential to, um, to change a lot of the, the work that we're doing um, and uh, it's something that I'll just continue to, to update you all on. We had been in the process of figuring out some ways for us to formally connect to the Board of Trustees through probably the Quality and Professional Services Committee with some sort of formal reporting relationship to the CAB, and we'll likely return to that process, you know, as it, as it makes sense when the Board of Trustees gets their legs under them and, and we, um, we, know, we know some more about how things are going to work. Um, but I'm happy to take any questions here, and um, I'm, I'm sure Alexander can, can help also if there's any, you know, governance questions that, um, that are too complicated for me. Thank you, Dr. Francis. If I may add one more thing, which, you know, I'm sure that this is of interest to the co-applicant board, and it's about uh, the governance update and, and what the county has shared with us. And, uh, you know, I'll take this opportunity to share with the co-applicant board and everyone else that. Uh, from what we know right now is that the county has actually engaged a consultant. I believe it was Health Management Associates. And the purpose of engaging this particular uh, consultant is to help them not only collect information, but also to evaluate the governance and model the structure of Alameda Health System. And to that end, what we just found out is that uh, earlier, I want to say last week, was that the county will be conducting a presentation tomorrow at the second official BOT meeting. So, uh, so if you do have the time, I encourage you to, uh, you know, join the general board of trustees meetings to, uh, so that you can learn about, uh, you know, what the the consultant uh, will be presenting and what the county uh, will be presenting to us. Uh, you know, I wish I could tell you an exact time as to when that presentation will take place. It's just the only thing that I can tell you is that there are a couple of items that will be discussed at the beginning of the meeting. But, you know, I envision this being a topic of discussion at tomorrow's meeting, maybe around 6, between 6 to 7. So, again, if you do have the time, I highly encourage you to attend the meeting. Thanks so much for that, Alexander. And I think we'll, we'll either way, um, we can track when it happens and then send out a link to the materials and the, you know, and the recording of that meeting, um, just in case it's of interest to any of you. about the, the board for um, either myself or Alexander? Great, I think that concludes our presentation then. Hey, Brenda, can you pull up the next slide? Um, thanks so much. This is our um, program report, which we provide monthly to you to let you know the activities happening within our program at Alameda Health System. Um, one of our primary topics is health center compliance. I think last time we met, I talked about the activities that were happening from our um, visit that we had with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program in September, and we had a few action items that we needed to tend to. We have one more item that we need to finish 
up or wrap up, and that is regarding our uh, counting policies and procedures. And we have communicated with Alameda County Healthcare for the Pro Homeless Program that they are projected to be updated by June 31st. 2020 and so that's the only outstanding item from that um, report that they gave us back from the last visit uh, we do have another visit that happened with them um, both on 11 20 and 12 9 and and both of those visits were um, related to each other and that this most recent visit was around health center staffing a lot of it had to do with credentialing of providers and things like that we're not expecting any findings or action items from this visit um, but we haven't gotten the official results from them yet the visit went very well and um, we have pretty solid processes in regards to our credentialing process and our staffing our medical staffing for our health center um, but we are waiting for that report to come back to us um, in mobile health, um, we've wrapped up, remember, as a, as a sub-recipient of Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, we work on a calendar year. And so um, December was the end of our calendar year. And so I just gave you a, a few metrics there that we treated 682 unduplicated patients. Um, we have something called RBA metrics for some of our activities in mobile health. And one of the RBA metrics that had been set in our subrecipient agreement was around the number of unduplicated patients we would see in the calendar year. And that was projected to be 930. That would have been um, to meet the RBA metric. We did not meet that metric. We saw 73% of that metric um, with our 682 patients. And this was largely in due, uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the changes that we needed to make in our mobile health clinic service provision, um, which uh, was rapidly changing throughout the pandemic and continues to change still based on how the shelters and congregate living settings um, adjust each and every month. Additionally, we had 49 clinical encounters for December, and so you see that our total number for the year was 848, and this is um, significantly lower than what we would want to see typically in a 12-month period. Usually, we're aiming for about 1,200 visits per year, and again, this was largely uh, due to COVID-19, um, and the 1,200 per year is, is a metric that we are using for our fiscal year because it's more about our budget than our RBA or subrecipient agreement. Um, so we have different metrics for different reasons. And the budget year is usually where we're looking for the 1,200 visits. And so that goes from July 1st to June 31st. And um, But this is a 12-month period that we're looking at here from January 1st through December 31st. And enabling encounters in the mobile health clinic are those encounters that are being provided by our mobile health specialists which helps to connect patients both to financial, um, usually in, the, in terms of insurance and activating their insurance to help them to have medical appointments within our system or for transportation or for follow-up medical appointments, including for primary care appointments or specialty appointments or um, ancillary services as needed uh, as a follow-up to their visit and mobile clinic. If we go on to the next page, it just shows a graphic of our visits throughout the year. And we talk a little bit also um, in our quality section about um, the PDSA that we're working on with the mobile health team right now, which is to engage patients in their primary care appointments and to help them to attend those primary care appointments. 
Also, this time of year, it's um, quarterly. We report out on a couple of items from our um, performance report, which you're going to see actually in the next agenda item, but some of those items are reported here, which is our uh, mobile health patient experience survey, which we do by phone. Um, we had made 268 calls and we had received 33 responses at the time of this report, and all of those were favorable. The target that was set for the RBA metrics in the subrecipient agreement was for 465 surveys, which would have been um, roughly half of all unduplicated patients that we would have seen. Um, and this target was set by Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, and this is the first time that this target was set without any baseline understanding of what would have been possible. Um, so now we have a baseline of what may be more realistic, and we're also looking at what the um, action items that might result from a survey of patients in this format, and we're not finding very many actionable items from doing this survey. So we, we, we will be working with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program to determine whether this item as an RBA metric makes sense. Um, also, what I wanted to do was follow up a little bit on our homeless health center, so not just the mobile health, but the larger homeless health center, which is ambulatory care. We talked a little bit about our um, homeless population registry, and we talked a lot about our data um, last month, which we reviewed also today um, with Catherine's report on ambulatory services. And one of the things we said that we would follow back up on was this breakdown of primary care, specialty care, and mobile. And so for our encounters that we had reported um, last month, 43% of the encounters that we saw in the homeless health center and ambulatory care was um, were for primary care. 51% of them were for specialty care and 6% of them were mobile. Um, and in this also, you may have a patient that is seeing all three quadrants, all three thirds, because there are three, three sections. So it's possible that a patient would have seen a primary care appointment, a specialty care appointment, and a mobile appointment. Um, but this is just the overall breakdown of all of the encounters. 43% of all of the encounters were for primary care, 51% was for specialty, and 6% were for mobile. We also did a little bit of a look for our chief complaint or the reason for a visit in our um, homeless health center. And um, you'll notice that if you go to the next page, thank you, Brenda, um, and stay up a little bit so that they can see it. And I don't know how well um, you can see this in front of you on your Zoom screen, but if you have your packet, you might be able to see it a little bit better. But a large portion of our chief uh, reason or uh, that a patient is coming in to see it is for medication refill or for other. And other really just represents that, you know, patients are all coming for different visits, and that's the most predominant thing is that it's hard to categorize any one type of visit. Um, and that's followed by medication refill and follow-up. Those were the high, the highest ones that we saw. And you can see that they represent um, other, represents more than 50% of the visits. So it's really hard to calculate or pin down patients within our health center as any primary reason or, or something that we see more often than others for patients experiencing homelessness. 
if you scroll down to the next one, um, I did also include a little bit about, this I think might get a little bit more to Eric's question earlier, which is, you know, why do patients experiencing homelessness come to our homeless health center? And although their chief complaint might be hard to pin down, one of the tools that we use is we also have them in registries. And these registries are sometimes based on their um, their conditions, uh, their health conditions, but also on whether or not they're, for example, an AHS assigned patient. So you can see that within our homeless health center, 57% of our patients in our homeless health center are assigned to Alameda Health System as their medical home. You'll also see that um, 39% of the patients within our homeless health center are high-risk cardiology patients. Remember, patients can be in more than one registry as well. So they can be both in the high-risk cardiology registry and the hypertension registry. And you can see that those numbers match. So in this case, I would, I would feel confident in saying that patients are often in both of those registries. You'll see 18% of our patients are in the diabetes registry. We have 19% of our patients who have um, been supported by health advocates. 10% in the chronic hep C registry, et cetera. So you can see that list there. I think this gets a little bit better to the health conditions of our patients as compared to the chief complaint. But we were trying different ways to see how we could get at this information by using our homeless population registry. Um, I wanted to just note also in our leadership and advocacy that one of the new things that we're working on right now is engaging in program redesign for our mobile health clinic, determining how to best utilize that service for patients so that we can be in the right place at the right time with the right service for our patients. That is the completion of that report, and if nobody has any questions, we can move straight into the performance goals and action plan quarterly reports, which I'm going to say is item F. All right, no comments. Here we go. <laughs> so um, I did mention that some of the items in our, in our quarterly performance goals action plan reports um, did happen in the program report, um, primarily the patient satisfaction. So in this memo, it's just a quick review that in um, March of 2020, we established an action plan that was specifically related to calendar year uh, 2020 in regards to our subrecipient agreement for 2020. And part of that action plan was to report out quarterly on specific items. And so we have a review and uh, the action plan is attached at the end of this memo. So you can review that memo at your leisure as well. In goal C, which was around patient experience and patient satisfaction, we set through the Ambulatory Operations Council and Ambulatory Quality Committee, my chart as a key tool, and we actually refer to that as my Alameda Health. So when you are an Alameda Health System patient, what you will see is the my Alameda Health. That's what you're joining, my Alameda Health. That's a key tool that helps drive patient satisfaction. And so that is the PDSA that they were working on is utilizing that tool. And I will let you know that an update to that 
TDSA is that they have hired tech advocates at each of the wellness centers to support patients for registering for their My Alameda Health so that they can access their health record online electronically. Um, we also have uh, CG caps. You saw in Catherine's report earlier, she used one of the CG caps metrics to show patient improvement, uh, or I'm sorry, patient experience survey data. And in her case, she was showing um, the receive an answer within 24 hours and the metrics related to that over the past 12 months. Um, if we scroll down to the next page, Actually, it's two pages from here. You'll see our CGCAP score for recommend practice. I think Catherine also mentioned that. Um, one more page there. Um, Brenda, thank you so much. There we go. Um, the recommend practice is the new metric that we're looking at for 2021. Um, I'm sorry, for it's the calendar year fiscal thing that helps me, that, that throws me off sometimes. So for Fiscal year 2021, which we are now in the middle of, we are now using um, recommend the practice as the key metric for identifying um, patient experience. And so you'll see the metrics here um, for recommend the patch, recommend the practice. And you'll see that 70, that where that says 70, that's the goal metric that each of the clinics is trying to achieve. And you can also see kind of where they are to goal for each of the centers, if you look at the chart on the right-hand side, um, it, it, it calls out each of those wellness centers. If you go on to the next page, thank you so much. Um, this is the patient risk and relations reports that we've also um, brought to you in the past. Um, and also refers to patient experience. And so, um, again, for each quarter, we look at how many patient relations events, and these are typically patient complaints or patient grievances. And in our organization within that time period, there were 62. Um, remember, then we have the scope, and that scope is an ambulatory care, which in which case there were nine. And then those which were patients experiencing homelessness, in this case, there were zero. And you'll see that also for patient risk. And as a reminder, you'll have the definitions below that a patient relations event is typically a patient complaint or grievance. And a patient risk is an event that may have the capacity to harm a person. And then we have different levels of risk that are categorized. In our case, because we don't have any events related specifically to patients who are homeless within our scope, um, we're not getting into any more detail around what level of risk these events were because we don't have any to report back. Um, after that page, you get in, you'll see just the attachment of our 2020 action plan in its entirety. And um, what we're doing is just reporting out based on that action plan and what we said we would report to you. So you can review that. And that is the end of the report, item F. Okay. Um, now we want to open, open it up for public comment. Are there any public comments? No public comments? Okay, how about co-applicant board member comments? No one has anything? Okay, so in 
unless there's anything else, I guess we can wrap up the meeting. Is that correct, Heather? That's correct. You get to adjourn the meeting. Hello, can you, you hear me? Oh, Mark, oh, yes. Okay. Okay, I was trying to get through. I, I'm sorry. Um, yes, I, it was something I wanted to introduce uh, or ask to be introduced uh, before the meeting started. Um, it was something that I had an idea on, but I didn't. Um, I, I didn't get it to the chair. I'm afraid, and I'm, I apologize for that. But I I thought um, just before. Um, Madam Chair, before you adjourn, I would um, I would like to ask if it's okay uh, that we, as a body, that we um, give one minute of silence um, just uh, for the people affected uh, for what happened at the Capitol uh, this past Wednesday, uh, if people are in agreement. If not, I, uh, that's okay too. It's fine with me. It's fine with me. Okay, uh, Madam Chair, you can you can tell us when to start, and uh, we'll have a minute of silence before we adjourn. Okay, um, let's begin now. Okay. Okay, that was a minute. Okay, um, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Okay, there's uh... um, I just wanted to say something very quick. Um, first of all, thank you for having me with you guys today. Um, a lot of great information. Um, I also wanted to add, I know that you guys were talking about earlier that, you know, the uh, food, you know, for um, individuals, you know, and, um, and that you guys are not like really connected, like you guys are putting the referrals into the food bank. But, but please, you know, if you have any family members or anybody that you guys know of that needs um, food, you know, please have them reach out to me um, here at Headco Wellness Center. You know, I go to food bank once a week. I have canned foods. I have I, whatever I can get. You know, we, we can give out to the families. Uh, the Fremont location, um, they give out food all the time too. So any of the wellness centers with bags. Uh, if you know anybody that's in need of food, just have them reach out to us, and we can talk to them and find out what they need, and we can definitely support them with that. Camille, well, I really appreciate it. If you're okay with it, I'd like to take to Dr. Curtis, who is our, um, our uh, lead for some of the um, efforts to, to connect people to resources, who's like planning the kind of infrastructure for that, because I think if we could kind of come up with a pathway to make calls you know, from whatever our clinics make sense directly to you to help people like who need food like real time to be able to isolate. Um, that would be that would be fantastic. So if you're okay with that, I'll, I'll put her directly in touch with you. Right on. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. 
I think um, Eric may have something to say because he took himself off mute again. So. Oh, actually, Dr. Francis kind of um, covered it. I was going to ask uh, ask him if he can provide us information so we can uh, reach out to him if we identify people. But uh, mm -hmm. I think what uh, Dr. Francis had kind of um, said was take care of that. Yeah. And I, I, I get food boxes on every Tuesdays, too, so um, um, I love to be resourceful or refer them um, either way.